Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Modern Aged Middle Life, a podcast brought to you by Emily Baum and Graham Jarvis, comedy writers addressing modern day confusions for the middle aged. Today, I believe we're talking money. We're talking cold, hard cash. Oh. We're talking moolah, spondooly, change, your threatening bits, all of that. Tally stick. Who is it? <laughs> Who is it? Robin Thick, isn't he a pop star? <laughs> um, yes, your wedge, your dosh, all of that. Gosh. Well, do you think it's a good thing we've got money? I mean, originally, presumably, people were just in the fields, they'd grow some carrots and their neighbour would be growing potatoes, and they'd just say, oh, I'll swap you this and that. You didn't have mm-hmm. money. And then somebody decided to create something of value that every was universal. So when they decided that they should be above and beyond food and livestock and wives in many an occasion, wasn't it? They were yeah. selling women folk back and forth. I really? know what the refund policy was like for this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I've bought this wife. I think she's broken. She doesn't do no washing up. She don't clean. I want a refund. I'll have those chickens back. <laughs> yeah, 30 days warranty. <laughs> yeah, 30 days warranty. You said she was 21. She's not 21. When I got her in the light, she's 75. <laughs> you said one careful owner, low mileage. <laughs> I know on TikTok, I think there were some makeup examples. Mm. And often it seemed to be Asian women that did fantastic makeup and sometimes they were perhaps in their 60s and they looked like mm. a well-lined ordinary 60-year-old put this makeup on they looked like this teenager almost ah. people would be fooled and men would be saying never trust a woman unless you see her without her makeup on yeah this yeah. is the wiles you see so originally when we were spending our money and we were swapping cash and buying things like a like a new wife or a, or a new servant or swapping for goods and services that's where it all started didn't it yeah I guess that's where we began I believe paper money started in China. Yeah, I think you're right, because it was an art form, wasn't it? Because it was almost based around swapping arts and crafts or beautiful things. Mm. Kind of went from the potato to something a bit more exotic, like an intricate drawing. But it was only a while later that they decided that metals were the most valuable thing, and that's why money was then made out of metal, because they used to, had a real value in the production of the coin. I think it was all down to trust. I think that's where money came from. Because originally, I think the metals have come in and out, because I think they had gold before they had paper money. I think Mm. it was down to just trust, and so they'd just give some items. So that's where the old tally stick came in. The tally stick? A tally (laughs) stick. They used to get a willow stick, write on it who the debt was to, and then they'd split it down the middle, and because willows got a very distinctive grain, the two would match perfectly. You wouldn't be able to mismatch them. One person would take one half of the tally stick saying, this person owes me money, and the other person would take the other half saying, I owe the money. And what they then started to do was trade the debts. So it wasn't necessarily the person who was written on the tally stick had to repay it because it would be passed around. So you'd gain wealth by owning tally sticks. I've just got visions of like a harvester where they give you a wooden spoon on your table and it gets passed around to lots of other tables. (laughs) This is where they've got it from. (laughs) I think that's how the Houses of Parliament burnt down. They decided to do away with the tally sticks. 
that they'd got huge amount of showing the people had owed them money and now it's paid in the newer form of money. And they put it all in a furnace and didn't realise all this dry, centuries-old wood was going to blaze up. And it set light to the chimney and the whole place burnt <laughs> down and they had to rebuild the but, Houses of Parliament. But, I mean, thinking back at stuff like that, Right, and you obviously have first-hand experience because you were probably there. <laughs> I've still got my first tally stick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you imagine nowadays, someone says, "Can I borrow a fiver?" And you go, "Yep, yeah, no problem. Here's a fiver. Hang on, I'll just get my bit of stick out and make a note of that that you owe me five quid." Yeah. I mean, it'd be more hassle than it's worth. In fairness, nowadays that tally stick will probably be worth more than the fiver. They said the British government, if they'd not upset lights on them all, they'd have a fortune on the hands. You know, the historical artifact. Imagine if the Egyptians had got Tutankhamun and all the rest of them. Ah, they're old. Let's just dump them yeah, in the bonfire. It. Yeah, bin, bin it. it. <laughs> yeah, won't be long. We're still in lockdown. Yep. Right, we're still experiencing lockdown. And a lot of people are worrying about money. I'm yeah. worrying about how they're going to pay for bits and pieces like that. And you and I are in pretty fortunate positions. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you didn't have any money at all? Well, apart from when I was a child, obviously. <laughs> But again, there was value in you then. Your mother could have sold you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's another boy. I wanted a girl. Flog it. Put it on eBay. I remember walking alongside her for miles and miles and miles, saying, Mum, what are we doing? And she said, they've just rejected me under warranty. But money is based on trust. I mean, we shouldn't need it. If Amazon decide to send me a brand new 65-inch TV, they should trust that in some way I will do work to repay their kind gift. <laughs> I don't think Amazon works quite like that, but bless you for thinking that they do. do are you the sort of person that will stay awake at night worrying about money? No. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be. I knew you wouldn't be. I'm the sort of person that literally wakes up in the night in a cold sweat going, oh, and it's usually about something ridiculous. Like, I've got to do the weekly shop. Have I put enough money aside for it? Or, oh, the electricity bill's just come in. The electricity bill is always a heart attack moment in our house. Really? Oh, my. Yeah, every time. We always plan for it, and every time it's a shock. <laughs> don't know how. I don't know if they're mining electricity using specialist albino mice that have to run at certain hours of the day, but the price of electricity's gone up, hasn't it? I don't know. No idea. Who pays the bills in your house? I do. <laughs> How do you not know how much you're paying electricity? Well, it's then? just a fixed amount every month. You estimate how much oh. you're going to have over the year and you just pay that much each month. And then at the end of it, you... Get a heart attack when they do an updated bill. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, our, our estimation, sadly, was about £3,000 wrong. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Can you go and find three grand? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And especially during lockdown, I'm worried about it because everybody's got everything plugged in. Go yeah. around the house turning into a miser and unplugging things. Yeah, this you know, is the defibrillators. time. This is the time to have investment in electricity by the sound of it. Definitely. Because everyone's on the Wi Fi, they've got the telly on, they're playing PlayStation. The only time I've gone ulp, that cartoon word, ulp about money. And it is that. That's a really good description. It's literally your intestines feel like they're coming out the top of your mouth yeah. and then out the back. Things feel cold inside where they shouldn't, where the blood should be warming you nicely, as it does almost all of the time. Suddenly, it goes somewhere, like the blood's going, eek, no money, I don't know where it yeah. goes. You, you open a bill just as you think you've made it to the end of the month with £20 left in your account, and the bill is 247 quid, and you just feel the floor open up and the world swallow you. 
<laughs> but the only time I went to get some money out of my bank account, this was when I was just starting out in music, and I went to the bank to get some cash out, and I was going to get £50 out, which was my usual amount of dosh. And it said I'd only got £28 left in my account. And it went through my head, mm. like, how do I pay my mortgage? How do I do this? How do I do that? You know, £28 is not going to go far. And I felt did, pulp written in capital letters with a big exclamation mark after it. Did you have one of those automatic feelings, right, and this is going somewhere, so bear with me, where your first thought is, oh, I've been robbed. Someone's hacked my account. I've been robbed. My money's disappeared. And then you start to look at your statement or you ring up the bank or whatever it is you do and they go, oh no, Mr Jarvis, you bought four pounds of concrete the other day and you've just forgotten about it. And then you have that shameful moment where you go, oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I've occasionally seen things on credit cards I don't recognise. I did have a three and a half thousand pound item on the credit card bill. Apparently somebody would used the numbers to get a payment for a flight to South Africa. And I thought, mm. what sort of idiot would do that? Because they must monitor aircraft purchases pretty closely. Like yeah. somebody was in that seat, they know who had used my money to buy their seat on the aircraft. But because it's on mm. a credit card, there was no risk. They just took it off the bill. Uh. Like they do with electricity stuff, I suppose. Have you ever tried doing that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this wasn't my purchase. <laughs> no, it wasn't me who used that electricity. I've got proof. What proof have you got? I videoed them yeah. and I had the video camera plugged in while I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I was speaking to the daughter of the guy that founded Glastonbury. Oh, hello. You've dropped that name. Yeah. Carry on. And <laughs> <laughs> Were you with Rod Stewart at the time, by any well, chance? Well, he is. <laughs> and... Apparently, in and the... I said to Princess Diana, sorry, no, carry on, Graham, sorry. <laughs> Apparently, in the early days of Glastonbury, or perhaps only the first one, I don't know, but she said they employed somebody to feed the electric meter because the Glastonbury Festival was run from the farmhouse that had a coin fed meter. And so. Ah. For the first festival, the only way they could keep it running, because it got through electricity so fast, was to have a bucket of whatever it was, two shilling pieces or 10 PB, I don't know what they had in those days. They employed somebody to sit there continuously feeding money into the meter. And at one point during the festival, everything went dead. They went mm -hmm. running to the farmhouse and the bloke who they'd got to feed the meter had run off with a bucket full of money. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try and come up with clever names for that particular job role, you know, penny poker, that sort of thing. But seeing as he ran off with the money, he doesn't deserve a job title. <laughs> no, no. And I bet he ran slowly, because that amount of coins got to be heavy, isn't it? I can imagine he planned it. Perhaps he divvied it up with somebody. Who knows? More than likely. Like the great escape, he should have just been putting little bits of coins in his pocket and going every night. Siphoning in his pocket. Yes, mm. siphoning. That's the one. <laughs> so <laughs> money's about trust. Why have we ended up in this position where we all need to have these worries about money? I mean, if it's about trust, if you said to somebody, you do this for me and I'll do that for you. I mean, that's, that's the old system, isn't it? But presumably we've just now got so many skills, we can't sell one. So it's not like I grow carrots let me have that and I'll let you have a carrot. We haven't got that one-off skill set anymore, have we? I also think your beautiful idea of trust has probably been flushed down the toilet 
because there would have been many an incident where a guy said, I'll swap carrots for your potatoes. And the guy with the potatoes said he was growing potatoes, but he wasn't growing potatoes. He was probably growing weed or something else and just <laughs> turned around and said, I haven't got any potatoes, mate. I've fleeced you. I'm not going to give you your carrots back because I ate them. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's where the trust has broken down. So what was a case of swapping for goods has now gone, oh, I don't trust you, mate. I don't know you, I don't trust you, I don't believe you. So you don't think there was the idyllic world, the hunter-gatherers worked together seamlessly and everyone was happy? <laughs> no, they were bludgeoning each other to death as soon as they turned around. <laughs> Survival of the fittest, my friend. I've always said I would be one of the first gone. With my <laughs> yeah. eyesight, by the time, you know, when I was 15, but probably 12, I'd have been leaning on a rock and it would have been a pterodactyl's knee. I'd have just gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like that as well. When you watch horror films and you see the people that get killed at the beginning or yeah. the people that get eaten by the cannibals, I often think, yeah, that would have been me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the one that would have opened what looks like a normal cupboard door to find it's actually the cannibal's larder and I'd have gone and hidden in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been eaten just, <laughs> just as the music, the reverb, settles down into the film. You just see a little bit to the left of the screen. Oh, what was that? That would be me being dragged off set. <laughs> No chance. We wouldn't have survived. We would have had to have been more wily, be a bit more cunning. Most people want money for security, I think. If we knew, for example, that we were going to die, say, in a week's time, you'd think, oh, I don't need to worry about the money. I've got enough money to last me a week. It's only if you're thinking, oh, gosh, say I go on for another 50 years. Oh, I'm not sure if I've got enough money for another 50 years. I'd better start working harder. Oh, my goodness. And that's where the worry comes in. People want money for things beyond what they really need to survive. They want it for niceties and for fun. But because that's so airy-fairy, they can't work out how much money they need. Do you need money for an airy-fairy? Or was that a hairy-fairy? <laughs> I do, actually. It's one of my five a day. <laughs> <laughs> do I need stuff? I think there are things that we tell ourselves that we need, that we pay for. I mean, going back to, to the beginning of time, no one was going, <laughs> oh, I need on, to... Hang on, my memories. I can't quite remember that. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got a vague glimpse. I remember a big bang. When people were swapping carrots and potatoes, at no point did anyone ever think that they were going to pay for this invisible thing that gave them access to the internet, did they? No. I mean, a lot of the stuff we pay for on a day-to-day -day basis, you don't see, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, you can't lick it. Well, electricity, you can, <laughs> but I find it pays back in spades. You know, you've got these things that you're paying for that maybe you don't really feel like you're interacting with. So if you're paying towards a car... You get to drive a nice car every day or it's a car that gets you from A to B. It's a practical purchase. But for some things like streaming, a lot of what we pay for is entertainment yeah. and distraction now. It's not necessity. That's terrible. You're paying for distraction. That yeah, comes are. back to the horror you movie. Are. Distraction from what? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's behind, it's behind you. you. No, it's not. <laughs> that must have been so disappointing when you used to graze your sheep on the common and then they brought in all those with us, the enclosure laws and things. Then you've got to pay for a strip of land surrounded by fences, whereas before you just wandered about happily. Well, that's only because people like you and I were stealing the sheep because we knew we were going to get eaten any time soon. Soon, so we were trying to put some sheep aside. 
That's all. They they needed their own bit of land for security to stop people from nicking their livestock. I have never tickled a lamb, ever. <laughs> but many a lamb has tickled you. <laughs> <laughs> I need the photos before I'll admit to that. <laughs> I do think if you look at your outgoings every month, have you ever done that exercise? Have you ever sat down with your bank statement and gone through your online bank statement and gone, what have I actually spent money on? I'm sure that if your house is like mine, and I think a lot of people's houses are, you'll find it's on things like payments on smartphones, streaming TV services or Sky, Wi-Fi. You know, that's all entertainment. If you didn't have that tomorrow... Oh my gosh, you'd be bored stiff, don't get me wrong. However, it's not life-threatening. Why is it that some people need a £1,000 a month, some people need less than that, and some people can't be doing with less than perhaps a million pound a month? I mean, what's going on? We're all just human beings with the same needs in terms of eating and breathing. But how much entertainment can you buy? I mean, at what point do you have enough money? Is there such a place for a human? No, there is never enough. And that's almost the mental torture that comes with money. Because you could say to yourself, I just need to earn another £200 a month. I just need to earn another £200 a month. But you will find things to spend that money on. So it's very rare that you get a situation where people are earning so much money they can't spend it. So you'll never be wealthy enough. I think we're trained or we've started to have this aspiration to have lots of money and have multiple millions of pounds. But actually... When you do have a lot of anything, it's quite a pain in the backside to manage. And it becomes quite stressful and it's very easily lost. So you could have £5,000, put that into an investment bond, and then within a year, two years, find it's only worth £3,000. And you're like, how come? I gave you £5,000, but that's an investment. Just as if you stuck it in the bank you could find that it doesn't get any interest, so it doesn't grow. Or if you stick it underneath your mattress, you could find your other half siphoning it off. Yeah. <laughs> Money moves, it flows, and it has to flow. It has to come in and it has to go out. So would you rather be living in a tiny little terraced house in Grimsby, costing £20,000 to buy outright, so you've got no mortgage, and with the sale of a Surrey household... You'll have hundreds of thousands left over, enough to see you through your days. You think, no, I don't want to do that. You'd rather keep with the money-worry cycle. Are we all attracted to money because it brings us a feeling that we're alive? I think if you've had lots of money and you've lost lots of money, you then value paying stuff outright and just having what you can afford because then you're not jeopardising losing everything. You're just maintaining a certain lifestyle that's pretty comfortable. A £25,000 house in Grimsby with no worries about your mortgage, knowing you've got enough money to pay your electric, you've got enough money for treats like takeaways, cinemas, going out, whatever. That sounds like heaven to a lot of people. Yeah. Except you might want to move the location from Grimsby. I know. I've never been to Grimsby. Maybe one day... If there is a rehoming programme, I will go and see what the old fishing port is like. It seems when there's a step change in circumstance of people in the pop business, they write a song about money, 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 and Mm -hmm. Pink Floyd with money, money, and... They go through all the hell of discovering suddenly money. They've come from ordinary wealth to super wealth. It's like a shock. The thing that chases money, the dinosaur following money, is called the tax system, isn't it? Exactly. And when you have a lot of money, comes with it a lot of tax, a lot of paperwork, a lot of complication. And for people that have come from 
normal jobs making sort of 30, 40,000 pounds a year to suddenly having millions. Once you've bought a load of old tut, which everybody does, there's like, well, actually, I should hang on to this for a while because I'm going to need it. I'm hopefully going to last more than a week. So what else do I need to start buying? And then you buy houses, you buy cars, and you have to tax them, and you have to pay tax on them, and you have to pay upkeep, and you have to pay your electricity supplier that sneaks up on you with a £3,000 bill when you're not looking. And all of a sudden, that money that you're all excited about, all of the things that you've bought with it, start to erode the overall sum And you start to go, oh, hang on, how am I going to pay to have my swimming pool cleaned? How am I going to pay the insurance on my car? Because the liquidity of the money is going down, but the assets I have is going up. Yeah. Do we feel the world would be a better place with some substitute, or is there no way around it? In preparing for this very podcast, I checked with our little dog, and it's got no interest in money. If I said, treat... Gosh, the tail started wagging, ears up. If I said walk, tail wagging, ears up. If I said money, price of electricity, nothing, not interested. So a dog's happy as Larry, no money in its life. We've gone wrong. I think you're absolutely right. There are plenty of animals on the planet and none of them are worried about money. They are worried about food, they are worried about water and they're worried about shelter, which are the key things. Dogs don't worry about that, they're just... No, oh, they do. Happen. They need to shelter from the weather. They need to get regular food. Yeah, they and need it. That's us putting that on them. That's not the dog. The dog. And they need the to dog's breed. like, all right. The dog's like, well, you move out and I'll just have your house. Well, yeah, exactly. The dog's not even if they don't have a house, <laughs> if they're living on the street, they still find shelter. Yeah. But we've put this extra thing on us where we've gone, well, actually, I want my shelter to be nicer than Graham's shelter. So how do I manage to get the better materials and parts to make this wonderful treehouse so that I can have a nicer, bigger house? I want bigger shelter. I want more food. Mm. It's about abundance and more. Do you think people are comparing other people's? So some people want what they want because it's better than somebody else's. Absolutely. Apes have been nicking each other's termite straws from each other for years because they thought that the other person was getting more termites with their straw and it was better than the one that they had. I think you're being apist. (laughs) Uh, There might be an ape that does that within any troop or whatever the word is of apes, but I don't think all apes do that. I think you might say that Jimmy Ape or whatever... Jimmy Ape! Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Ape. Ape. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Ape might steal the straw. Nobody knows Jimmy's a badden. But I think most of the apes are probably quite law-abiding. Like, we, we don't all, go nicking each other We all each have this straws. toddler mentality of, I want what you've got. You know, when um, the unevolved brain is, you've got nuts, I want nuts. You've got this, I, I want. I've observed that personally. I don't strongly feel that. This is why if we were back in the wild, you would be dead in seconds. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. So, Completely. Someone comes up to you in the ape village and says, Graham, give me your termite straw. You'll be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we didn't exactly. starve. No, I'd just give them the termite straw. I'd make a living offering to pick nits out of their hair or something. Bit of grooming. Bit Nit- of grooming, sir? Nit pickers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be the best nit picker you'd ever come across, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> So you don't think we could be wandering nomads? There's too many of us, aren't there, really? I I wouldn't want to be. 
a wandering nomad? Oh, dear Lord. What we need is an invasion of clearly superior aliens. Again with the aliens. Slightly bigger than us, so that we can have the role of the dog. And we can just say, yeah, you sort out the bills and the living accommodation. I'm just going to watch Netflix and enjoy myself. And the only thing, oh, aren't they cute? Look, they're watching Netflix again. They can't do enough of that Netflix watching. Poor little, oh, come here. That's what we need, a superior race. There's a guy I know who lives out in the woods in a tent and he doesn't have any money and he eats off the land and donations from other people and he seems very Has he got a bucket of coins? Has he got a bucket of coins (laughs) and speaks with a Glastonbury accent? (laughs) Because I think the Evises might be looking for him. Modern Aged Middle Life was brought to you by Graham Jarvis and Emily Baum.